Okay, here we go. Bridging into our next major section. Bridging into our next major section and finishing up uh, our verses 1 to 17. This little hinge, and you see that they're all related. And so, this is why I say it's a hinge. You have verse 16, you have a 4, a 4, a 4 in verse 17, and a 4 in verse 18. So when you say something, for this is true, for this is true, for this is true, you're logically building on what you've said, right? And so, for I'm not ashamed, why? For, it's the power of God. Why is that? For, the righteousness of God is revealed. Why do I need the righteousness of God? For, the wrath of God is revealed. So these are all building on each other. But also, what's interesting here is like everybody takes verses 16 and 17 as the primary message of the book. That's pretty unanimous. Everybody takes that. You read Romans. Verses 16 and 17 are the main idea of the book, the letter. But it's hard to divorce it from verse 18. And that's why I wanted to finish uh, our series, at least kind of pause it here at verse 18. Because look, Verse 17, for the righteousness of God is being revealed. And yet you can't finish that thought without reading verse 18. Why do I need the righteousness of God? For the wrath of God is being revealed. The righteousness of God is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed. Does that make sense? So that's why I say this is a hinge. A hinge. All right. Well, how many of you have ever been angry before? Anybody have been mad before? Okay. I think that's everybody. As we learned in our booklet on managing my emotions, we found that, that the, the nature of anger is actually positive. It can be a positive thing. It is based on love. As you love something, as it becomes very special and precious to you, then when someone tries to hurt that, harm that, there is a natural emotional reaction against that which is hurting what you love. And so we would say someone is a psycho, psychotic, if they never feel that emotion toward the things they love. I guess somebody would say that. Um, The illustration that the Bible gives that I think is fascinating is this idea of the eye. Zechariah 2.8, For thus says the Lord, After glory has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of his eye, the pupil of his eye. Right? There's just something about your eye that if somebody tries to poke it or get at it, you're just gonna, I mean, you're gonna, no matter what, you're gonna beat it away. You're gonna slap it away. It's like, don't get to my eye. Right? That's precious. It's something I need. And so God has this perspective toward Israel. Uh, He has this perspective toward all his people. Uh, To those, the proverb says, who follow his commands, we need to follow them as the apple of our eye. Deuteronomy 32.10 says the same thing. Uh, As he talks about Israel, God says, I found Israel in a desert land, a barren, howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. And so God loves his people. He, He loves Israel. But he loves his people in a way that's special. Right? If, they, if, you, if you're not angry at some things, there's something wrong with you. Right? Um, if someone tries to harm my family, 
you will see a natural reaction to that, right? And it's a, a good reaction. If someone tries to harm our church, I will have a natural reaction to that. I love our church. I don't speak bad about our church. I will get in your face because I love it. Um, does God have this? Does God have a righteous anger? Well, we just saw he did. God actually has anger. And as we'll see today, right, we have two big ideas today. One main thing is trying to understand the nature of the wrath or anger of God. And that's helpful for us. We have to understand it. We'll also see a one meet, I trust you know him, but one, one figure from church history. But how is it that God is an angry God? In fact, as we understand it correctly, God is not God if he cannot be angry. If God cannot be angry, then he does not deserve my worship. All right, so those are the kind of the ideas that we'll gather together as we go through the text, okay? So, pause there, and we're going to get a quick overview, because we're, we're just trying, I'm trying to get everything in front of you, okay? Uh, so we're going to do a little overview. If I could have the ushers pass out the sheets, this may be that you have to share these per couple or per, per group. I don't know if I have enough for everybody. I'll have them on the the front here. What I've done is, is I gave this out the, the end of one of the first sections, uh, but what this is is a logical progression of the book of Romans, and uh, it includes my personal translation. Not that that's anything special, but there's just a couple things that I'll tease out that wouldn't necessarily be in, in the translation that you have. All right, so uh, what we're going to do here is just look at this, and kind of you can look at this and look at your notes, and, and we'll try to take just a, a few minutes with this so we get it in front of us, okay? Get it in front of us where we've come from, looking back, and then just glance a little bit at where we're going and how this verse 18 is kind of a hinge, a hinge of that, okay? So this uh, pretty lengthy um, document here is, um, you'll, you'll see... The, the main ideas, the main outline in different colors, okay? And uh, you can go home and look at it and dissect it. and You don't need to swallow all that right now, okay? But what I'm trying to do is, is just, if we could follow through the, the, the words that are in italics, okay? If you follow through the words that are italics, that's the scripture. And we're going to just get a get an bird's eye view of where we've come from. Okay, so first of all, verses 1 through 7, there was this gospel greeting. This gospel greeting. Uh, you have Paul, a bond slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart unto the gospel of God. So he's greeting them as the author, Paul. But then he gets this parenthesis in verses 2 through 6. Like, this is the gospel, and he can't go on without talking about. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the sacred scriptures... Well, this is promised about him. It's concerning his son, right? Concerning his son, Jesus, who came from the seed of David according to the flesh. But was set apart as son of God, not just as man, but he was set apart as the son of God. Not just son of man, son of God by what? By the resurrection. Set apart as son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the person of the gospel. And it looks at this, what he gives, who he is, and 
what He gives, verses 5 and 6. Through Jesus, we have received grace and commissioning. Idea of the Great Commission. Unto the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of His name. Alright, so that's Paul, the author, as he gets sidetracked in focusing on the Gospel. Uh, Through Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. Now, who is he writing to? These recipients, verses 6-7, through among whom you yourselves also are called of Jesus Christ, to all of you who are loved by God in Rome and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the Gospel greeting. Author, recipients, but the primary idea is this is what God has given to us, this relationship in the Gospel. And then he moves on with that idea, right? I want to be with you in Rome, who I'm writing to. And so you have this next main idea, gospel fellowship of spiritual family. Gospel fellowship of of spiritual family. Okay, so verses 8 through 15 is that section. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ because of all of you, because your faith is proclaimed across the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I worship in my spirit in the gospel of His Son. I constantly remember you. And so he's giving this relationship with himself and them. Making mention of you in my prayers. What are you going to pray for? I'm praying that I'll be able to come to you, requesting that somehow, at some time, I may be successful in God's will to come to you. So this desire for gospel fruitful ministry is what he prays about, this idea of ministering in spiritual family. For I long to see you, in order that I may share the spiritual gift with you to strengthen you. But this is that we may mutually encourage with with you through each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. I often tried to come to you, but I've been prevented so far. Why, Paul? That I might have some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the nations. For I, I need to do this. I need to have gospel fruit everywhere. For the... I'm debtor... Uh, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, I am debtor. Consequently, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome as well. Okay, so that's this gospel fellowship of spiritual family. And then he gets to the big idea, this gospel philosophy for living. Okay, uh, this gospel purpose. And we focused on this the last three weeks, these three main reasons why we're unashamed of the gospel. And Again, just the primary idea of the gospel of the book of Romans. Uh, the gospel is God's power, the gospel is for everyone, and the gospel makes me right with God. Okay, so this gospel philosophy for living. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power unto salvation unto all who are believing, both to Jewish people first and also to Greeks. And it makes me right with God. For the righteousness of God in it, in the gospel, is being revealed now. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So that's what we've covered so far. Great job. Um, I wonder if that is at all in your mind. I hope so. I hope you're able to look at that and have some sense of remembering where you've come from. I did try to do this. I don't know if this is going to work, but I tried to put this in a poem to help us um, the uh, and, and maybe uh, by the next time we handle this, I'll, I'll try to have uh, have some tune to it, so we can. I do think this is important, right? The, one of the purposes of our singing is to do what? 
to instruct one another. Right. So, so like we've gone through this instruction, but my job as a teacher and my desire is that we would not just say, oh, okay, I got it, and then we lose it. So how are we going to keep it? Right. So I, we have it in this piece of paper, but like you can fold that up and put it in your Bible, but you're, you're not going to see that for long. Right. We'll have it in email form, PDF form, so you can reference it in the future. Um, but what's helpful is to just try to summarize that in a way that will help us remember it. Okay, so verses 1 through 7, I'm summarizing this way. Set apart as slave to Jesus, promised seed from David's line. Only He has power to save us. He was raised to prove He's God. And then verses 8 through 15. Now I long to meet with others who embrace this gospel truth to share the fruit of gospel growth, stronger faith for me, for you. Verses 16 and 17, unashamed we love the gospel. God's great power is found in this. And by faith we have good standing, saved from wrath against our sin. And a good reframe, unashamed I live with purpose for the gospel of God's Son. Unashamed by this great message, glory be to God alone. So that's where we've come from. Now let's look forward. Now let's just open up a little crack to what we're going toward. Okay, And um, we find the need to be right with God. Right? He's just said the gospel makes you right with God. Well, why would you need to be right with God? What about for those who are unrighteous? First of all, for those who are unrighteous. And, and we could spend a lot of time on this. I'm really just going to glance at it. But if you have your Bible, look at Romans chapter 1. And he, he says, verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodless unrighteousness of men who express the truth in unrighteousness. I'm going to take some time with that today. And then verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Notice the thems. Okay, as I keep reading, notice who he's talking about. References them in the third person. For even though they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. So God declares who He is in nature, and they push that aside and ignore it. They do that. Because of that, God responds, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over and lost their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they themselves exchanged this truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped, they gave themselves to the things that were not God. They lived for things other than the gospel of God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them over then to degrading passions. As they change their worship, God gives them over to changing their passions. For the women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. They abandon their natural function of woman and burn in their desire for one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the penalty of their error. 
And then God gives them over again. Verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. And so we find here, this is why the wrath of God is revealed for the, the people of the earth are living after their own desires, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. As verse 18 details... But he doesn't stop with them, who we would consider very blatantly unrighteous, or, well, that person is not religious at all. Chapter 2 deals with you. Notice the difference in chapter 2. Therefore, well, let me just finish chapter 1. It says, although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, they give approval. So it's like they're not judging themselves. Chapter 2, he changes to you. And there we find then those who consider themselves righteous, religious. What about them? Do they need the righteousness of God or are they okay? Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. You're pointing at all these other people for all their sins, but you stand in judgment too. We know, verse 2, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, but do you suppose this, that you pass judgment on those, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. You too are under the wrath of God, religious person. So chapter 1, those may be considered irreligious, secular, or just like exchanging God for a lie. But then even those who keep this idea of God and try to earn their own righteousness, you too are under God's judgment. And so that's really how you spend more time with it. We, we will in the future, but we, he ends that way. Chapter 3 Verses 9 through 20, he says, we, we know that all of us. What then, verse 9 of chapter 3, are we better than they? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks all under sin. All of us are sinful. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become guilty, accountable to God. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So he's, he's just bringing a case against us that, we, that whether you're religious or not, you are all sinful and need the righteousness of God. You need an alien righteousness. You can't earn your own righteousness because we all need God's righteousness. All of us fall short. Even today you say, but Tim, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very upright. I'm very religious. It doesn't matter. All fall short. All fall short. And because we fall short, verse 18 is true of all of us. So now let's go and deal with verse 18. Verse 18 says some very, very important things. Okay? Do not, do not lose me here. Right? This is a very important message. 
Um, we need to understand this, grasp it, and hold it close. Why do I need the righteousness of God? Verse 18 says, what is being revealed, where it comes from, what it is directed toward, and what it is for. What is being revealed in verse 18? God's what? God's wrath. For in, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God's wrath is revealed. You see in your notes there, we have four little ideas or kind of thoughts to help us walk through the idea of God's wrath, okay? We're going to see the nature of God's wrath, the appearance of God's wrath, the necessity of God's wrath, and the satisfaction of God's wrath. The nature of God's wrath. What is God's wrath like? God's wrath is God's calm, steady punishment towards those who reject His laws or the rejecting of His laws. Wayne Grudem's definition goes like this, God's wrath means that He is intensely, that He intensely hates all sin. It's not an unreasonable outburst of rage. It is a calm, steady resistance, opposition to, and punishment of sin and sinful people. So I need to give a caution here. If you've been involved with someone with a temper that lashes out in fits of anger towards you, your view of this may be distorted. That's not what it's talking about. God is always under control. But it is necessary for Him to be God to have this right reaction to sin. It is a steady, negative reaction towards sin to punish it. He is angry at sin and its consequences. We understand this in the realm of the medical field. A cancer doctor that will not go at the cancer cells with vengeance in order to save the body, we would say is guilty of malpractice. Right? That, that, that doctor is steadily pinpointing and going against the things that are destroying that, that person we would be very concerned if God would not oppose in His creation what is harming and destroying His creation. That's the nature of His wrath. Look at the appearance of His wrath, okay? The wrath of God is what? It's being revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed. Um, It is being revealed. Uh, That's why I put that in my translation. It's the same present tense idea. It's constantly being revealed. There's not a time when God's anger is not being revealed. He is constantly angry at sin. We see that in the fall of the garden, punishing with the curse. God's wrath against those who despised His way and His plan. We see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath was a baptism of fire. We see that with Noah and the flood, God's wrath upon all the land was a flood of water. The time of the judges was a kind of a continual loop of God's anger towards His people's rejecting His commands. In the times of the prophets, of the kings, the prophets were called to call out God's people for disobeying His laws. Not just with nations, individuals, Repeated examples of God's wrath 
against individuals. Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Nahum 1-2 says that God is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. See, all those, Tim, are Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Colossians 3-6, For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. Those who are selfishly ambitious do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness will have wrath and indignation. Romans 2.8. John 3.16. Right? We love those verses. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. You keep reading. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through Him. Why do we need to be saved? Continues on, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on Him. That is why you have John 3.16. Why would I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? You say, I don't like a God like that. That's the God of the Bible. Right? You can make up a God in your own likeness if you would like, but, but have the honesty to, to name Him something different than the God of the Bible. And people have been doing that for ages. Right? But you have to be honest with who God is according to the Bible. And so many people do make up a God in their own image and they say God is never angry. But the Bible clearly states that God is angered at our sin. He is angry even at the sins of the righteous people. Those who are very religious. But you're making up your own God in your own image if you want to make a God different than, different than this. The Bible gives a God who is real and has real anger at real sin. He tells us what he is like and what he likes and what he dislikes. And I would just say this, thirdly there in your notes, there's this necessity for this. God must be angry because he is holy. Because sin is harmful. And again, if someone begins to harm something you love, you'll hate that. You'll react against it. If someone tries to harm someone you love, you will step in. And that is righteous and good. When you see someone hurt or mistreated or injustice served, you should not delight in that. That is demonic. Do you see that? If you are truly loving, you will hate that which harms people. It is natural for God to hate Hitler and to lash out in burning anger on him to this day because he poked the apple of his eye. And we would not want to worship a God who did not hate that sin. God punishes sin. Now, in wrath, He remembers mercy. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we have to, to let this settle in us and recognize, yes, I do not want a God who is not angry at injustice, angry at those who harm others. That is a good, natural response to a broken, sinful world. And we have messed up His creation. 
It is just natural for Him to hate our sin. I got a new Bible this week, and I love it. What if someone with filthy shoes from the right, from a bathroom, just walking around the city, started walking on my Bible? I would hate that. That is what we are doing every day. This is God's beautiful revelation. And with filthy shoes, with iniquity, we walk on God's creation every day, reviling His name, thinking ill of God. This is all of humanity messing up His revelation. They're walking on His first Bible. And so He hates that walking across, staining His earth, messing it up. So he's, he's angry at that every day. And so, though you may be feeling very upright in God's eyes, no man matches up to the right standing that He demands. And all of us then, verse 18, are under His wrath. But we find the beautiful satisfying of God's wrath. I love the verses that show in Him mercy and truth have kissed. He has at the same time this anger He has provided mercy. He is able to to demonstrate love toward those who deserve His anger. Mercy and truth have kissed. In wrath He remembers mercy. And so we find the satisfying of His wrath in that He sent His Son into the world. Shares that Jesus drank the cup of the Father. What was that? If you read the prophecies in the Old Testament, you recognize that the cup was referring to the cup of what? Wrath. He drank all of it. Jesus took the wrath that you and I deserved and He drank all of it All of the wrath that your sin deserved, my sin deserved, was placed upon Jesus on the cross and He was crucified in our place. So every day I praise Him for the cross that Jesus bore it for me. One of the stories that so illustrates this is in 1 Chronicles 21. I'll just summarize it very quickly. But David commits sin in his pride and numbers the people and God allows him to choose a punishment. And he chooses that God's wrath would be poured out upon the people through, through God Himself. And so God does send a plague and tens of thousands of people die. And the angel of God comes down and is ready to to with a sword slay in his wrath the people in Jerusalem. And David cries out saying, God, have mercy, have mercy. And God provides a way for him to have mercy. What is it? It's sacrifice. And God tells him to build a sacrifice, a burnt offering. Builds this altar and the wrath is stayed. And you follow, do the math. We don't have time to develop it. That is the very place. God chose that place for Him to build an altar where Jesus Himself will be crucified. And it's just showing from from time and eternity, God has set a place where He will offer up His own self because only He could take His own wrath. And only He could earn His own favor. This is the Gospel. 
This is what motivates our living. It's what changes the way we look at everything. Because God's wrath has come. We need His righteousness. I can't earn it. i got to have it by faith. Jesus earned it. Please gift it to me. I believe it. And He saves us by faith. Where does wrath come from? It's revealed from heaven. It's revealed from heaven. It comes from heaven. There's so many jurisdictions. If you commit something, you know, certain sins, wrongs here, you can flee to New Jersey or you can flee to Canada. Um, please don't do that. But I'm just saying, there's jurisdictions. But this wrath is from heaven. There's no way to escape this jurisdiction. The sins against God will be judged against God. Judged by God and His Son. What is it towards? It is towards ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Um, ungodliness there uh, has reference to impiety, ignoble thoughts about God. It's rampant in our society. Irreverence. Um, taking God's name lightly. Taking the name of His Son lightly. Just speaking it in human language. And that's just polluting our land. Right? Violence is polluting our land. All these things are polluting our land. And God, If it's not for His mercy, He's going to wipe us out. If it's not for the cross, we would have been wiped out. This is just all over. People have such a light view of God. And this is why we look at the Bible, Romans 1.18, and carefully go word by word, because we need to change our thinking based on who God is and who He reveals Himself to. Not what popular misconceptions of God or what other truth claims give. This is what the Bible says. It is true. God has showed us what is true. Cannot be fashioned by our own whims and feelings, lusts and desires, by society's most recent model of their God in their box. Those are all your own imagination. Just have the integrity to not say it's Yahweh. Because the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and then all unrighteousness. And that word is very important. We'll recover this later. But He's already said the righteousness of God is revealed in heaven. Remember? Righteousness of God is what I need by faith. Why? Because the wrath of God is against what? Unrighteousness. You see that? All of my unrighteousness brings God's wrath, so I need the righteousness of God. Verse 17. Righteousness of God is revealed by faith because the wrath of God is revealed against my unrighteousness where I do not meet God's standard. And so God will punish. He will punish unrighteousness. It may not be today. And so some people with, bright, with loud voice and many Twitter followers are speaking blasphemous things against God. Um, but it will, be, it will be reckoned to them. Donald Barnhouse recounts the story of a group of godly farmers in a community that were irritated. Every Sunday morning, a neighbor plowed in his field across from their church, and, and he interrupted their worship service. As they talked about it, they found out he purposely did that to interrupt the church. And he wrote a letter to an editor in the local paper saying, 
Although he didn't respect the Lord or honor the Lord's day, he had the highest yield per acre of any farm in the county. And so he asked the editor and all the Christians, how can you explain that? With insight and wisdom, the editor printed following this, God does not settle all his accounts in the month of October. And that's true, right? You see some people prospering even though they live a blasphemous life. Yeah, this is not the end. This is not the end. And often those accounts are given later. Who is this for? It's for those, lastly, who suppress the truth. For those who suppress the truth. They hold back. They push it away. And so this is what you find. You find a clear revelation from God here about His, His wrath against those that are sinful and, and, and we all need the Gospel, but there's going to be something in your mind that wants to suppress this message. Put it off. Think about something else. Try to say, I don't believe that. That is the very thing that He is exposing. It's the part of your flesh that doesn't want to accept this as true. And that's the very person the wrath of God is upon. Who won't accept this truth and embrace the gospel, but continues to suppress, continues to push back. The idea is that they're restraining it. Imprison that back there. Don't bring that into public. Suppressing the truth. God's anger is against that. All right, let me just give the five quick applications here, and I'll just read them, but I think these are good to meditate on. As you think about the wrath of God, you think, well, Tim, where is that positive? It's very positive, actually. Because first of all, we can thank God for the gospel. No condemnation, you dread. Just think of the wicked mess we were in. And Jesus saved you. Out of no works of your own, if you embrace the gospel, you have no fear of God's wrath. None at all. Not one ounce. Jesus drank it all. So you're going to have great freedom from guilt. If you keep with religious rituals trying to earn it, you'll never feel that. But if you come to embrace the gospel, you'll feel it every day of your life and you'll want to live for Jesus because of it. Thank God for the gospel. Secondly, thank God for hating sin. Thank God for hating sin. Um, Thank God that He is someone who will step in we, we need to thank Him for that. Just that He is not going to allow it to go on unchecked. That person that mistreated you when you were seven and has had severe effects in your life to this day, God hated that. And you can, you can find in that solace that that will be brought to account. Sometimes you feel like you're alone in your pain. No, God hates that. And so number three, we can wait for the judgment of God. And that's the idea of keeping fire on people's head. This is a little debated, but the idea is you don't need to bring judgment down. God's going to bring that judgment down. So you just leave room for the judgment of God. You take care of yourself. Be careful people aren't you know, mistreating you. That You can do all that. But at some point, you just have to step back and say, listen, you can keep on trying to hurt me. And you're fighting against God. Like, God's going to come in here. I don't have to, I don't have to fight my battles. That's the idea. Wait on the judgment of God. Just let that free you from bitterness in life. Free you from the burning of your anger. 
That person hurt me, but you know what? God hates it more than I do. God, you, please, Lord, you take vengeance. The Psalms are full of this principle. It helps you emotionally to grasp that. And then fourthly, live as salt and light in the city. The the truth of this is that the iniquity soils the land. And God's wrath comes upon cities and nations who reject His commands and who live outside of the Gospel. It just does. Repeatedly, it's continually revealed against lands like that. But what God says is Christians are salt and light. As we continue to live in this city, we continue to preserve it. We continue to shine the Gospel and there's hope for our city because of the Christians who are here. You think of... Lot in Sodom where God said, I am not going to destroy this city for five righteous persons. And here we have a little more than five. Those who are made righteousness by the blood of Jesus. And so live as salt and light. Be different. Be savory. Be gracious. Be different. Like the, all those folks that, that love the lawlessness and godlessness. Love light. Love what is right. You don't have to look down on people for it. Just be different. Be gracious. Be kind. I tried yesterday, just for an hour, I don't know if I kept, I tried to say and greet everyone I saw with a smile and say good morning. It was so weird. Right? It's so different. But like, they're people. All of humanity is real. Okay. Fifthly, pray that God will save people from His wrath. Okay. So let's do that. Set apart into the good news set apart into good news. It was July 8th, almost 300 years ago, 1741. This key figure spoke in Enfield Congregational Church in Connecticut. He's considered one of the greatest thinkers in the States, in the United States of the 1700s. He had ten sisters, no brothers. All of his sisters were six feet and taller. Make you a man. As a child, he studied spiders, and his work on spiders is still recognized today. This guy's brilliant. But he became a pastor and a theologian in New England. He pastored for eight months here in New York City, most of it in, in New England. Major work was being done by God's Spirit, changing towns, making people right with God, one after another, countless communities, giving lasting joy in God. Enfield was a standout. That hot day, right, July 8th, Jonathan Edwards read a sermon they had previously preached in his own church with no visible effect. It became the most, probably the most famous sermon in American history at least. He shares the truth that we've considered here in Romans 1. Let me read just a portion of it and we'll close. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. And to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution... And your own care and prudence and best contrivance, all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a rock from falling. 
Were it not though that so is the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you one moment. For you are a burden to it. Listen to his idea of creation. The creation groans with you, bearing up under you. It's true. Romans 8 tells us. The creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption. As humanity, we're walking across God's Bible. The sun doesn't willingly shine on you to give you light to serve sin and Satan. The earth doesn't willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lusts, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted on. The air doesn't willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life. God's creatures are good. We're made for men to serve God with. Don't willingly subserve to any other purpose and groan when they are abused to purposes so directly contrary to their nature and end. The world would spew you out were it not for the sovereign hand of him who has subjected it in hope. There are the black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads full of dreadful storm, big with thunder. Were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God for the present stays his rough wind. Otherwise, it would come with fury and your destruction would come like a whirlwind and you would be like the chaff of the summer summer threshing floor. He had to stop. He never finished the sermon. There were great cries of the youth knowing they were not right with God. He had to stop. The pastors had to go into the congregation and share the good news of the gospel. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's true. If it were not for Christ, we would all be hopeless. Let me encourage you to trust in Christ today. Believe the gospel and be saved. And live set apart as a slave to Jesus. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll just sing a chorus in just a moment. I realize this truth is heavy, but it's one that, ne- that we need to deal with. We need to be um, rightly related to God because of this. So if you have found yourself today not right with God because of the Gospel... If you would say any other answer to come before God other than Jesus, let me encourage you to come to Jesus. Or you are under the wrath of God. So I would encourage you to turn to Him today. Right now, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. If you'd like to counsel with me on the, in the lobby, be happy to pray with you in a moment. We'll, have a word of closing prayer.